0: D20 Radio,
1: your gamers role. 20 radiocom
0: Welcome to me and Steve Talk RPG, the podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. folks welcome back to me and steve i'm here this evening with my friend steve once again no no oh you're not here well i'm here but okay who's who's figment of the imagination are you tonight
2: i don't know well apparently um i'm i don't know i don't know where i was going with that i I completely (laughs) lost that train of thought
0: (laughs) oh all right well in any case we're back for our uh, usual weekly episode of discussion shenanigans etc and we have a guest this week but before we do that we have our d20 network spotlight and who's that this week steve
2: that is uh werewolf the podcast
0: aha yes this is your well one-stop podcast for everything related to werewolf the apocalypse uh josh heath is your host and he routinely has lots of cool and interesting guests from writers to enthusiasts and all sorts of people when they talk about pretty much everything you can talk about for werewolf apocalypse.
2: I just like the term enthusiasts when it comes to like players and people that know things about RPGs. Well, see, so you have I, people. Who, I think that's what our official title is. It might be. <laughs> Cause we're not experts. We're just enthusiasts. There you go. But in
0: any case, if you're into Werewolf the Apocalypse at all, or curious about it, check out Werewolf the Podcast. Uh, there'll be a link for it in the show notes. And um, I think with that, let's get on to uh, to our guest, who this week is uh, someone who's a prolific freelancer and, uh, well, writer and game designer in his own right, that being uh, Mr. Eddie Webb, who, well, amongst other things, is the creator of Pugmire, which I think is what we're going to talk a lot about tonight. So uh, hello, Eddie.
1: Hello. I'm also an enthusiast, but perhaps slightly more paid for one.
0: Well, you know, when it, where is the line really? Because most of the people I've talked to who get paid to do things with RPGs are as enthusiastic, if not more, than those of us who do it without getting paid.
1: Well, I mean, there is a, a kind of a running joke amongst some of the Onyx Path Publishing freelancers is where they get their paycheck and then they immediately put it into our latest Kickstarter. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, I guess you're kind of being paid but
0: is more funding the 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 hobby slash addiction right exactly
2: just first one's free kid yeah I just don't don't put the idea in their head that they can just stop paying you and give you oh here we've already pre-backed the kickstarter for you <laughs> right
0: oh kickstarter is such a a never-ending hole a of trap. who i want that
2: <laughs> it's a trap at a half. right? And then,
0: is it just me, or do you always end up with, like, seven things all at once that you want to back?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely.
0: And then it'll go, like, two months, and there's nothing. <sighs> and then, like,
1: you'll, you'll, you will start to be good. there's like, okay, no, I'm only back one at a time. And then you'll, you'll back them in in certain order. And then, like, seven things you'll deliver into your house all at once. And it's like, I don't have time to play all this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: That's just a normal occurrence for me.
0: <laughs> we have a whole segment
2: on this show where we talk about games that I end up buying most of the games that we talk about.
0: <laughs> you and me both, brother. Uh, anyway, so, um, boy, I don't know where to start, but uh, I guess, are you? do you consider yourself best known as the creative, creator of Pugmire, Ed, or?
1: I mean, I guess these days, uh, like, it, it's, it honestly, it's shifted. I mean, when I started, I was just some schlub who worked on some stuff. Um, and then uh, about ten years ago, I got really well known for working on Vampire the Masquerade, and that was a fun few years. And then I was like, okay, I'm gonna work on my own thing now. And I was like, I wanna do a game about D and D with dogs. And people said, what? And I pitched it, and some people actually got it. And now I, I work on that. But I mean, I work on lots of other stuff too. So it's interesting to see what people come to me and know me as, like. Most times it's like, oh, I loved your work on Vampire or like, I loved your work on Pugmire. But every once in a while I get someone's like, I loved your work on Cartoon Action Hour. And I'm like, what? Wow, that's great. Thank you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have noticed because I will randomly put people's names in as like author searches on Drive Through. You have Mm -hmm. almost as many, if not more credits than Ken Height, So that says something in its own.
1: Last I checked, I haven't checked Ken's. Resume, but last I checked my resume because I, I try to keep my website up to date. I have over 150 projects, so I, I've done some work.
0: Yeah, well, I was going to say I think the last time I checked Drive Through, it came up with 200 and some items you had credit on.
1: Oh my God, I'm behind. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I could check it now, but I don't type that fast. So, <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. To be,
1: actually, I, I think I think probably some of those are like uh, way back in the ancient days, 2008. I did do a podcast. And for some reason, I thought loading each episode of the podcast, White Wolf Blogcast at the time, and I thought loading each episode onto a drive through would be something people would want. Um, So, I mean, I'm sure like at least 50 of those are probably just podcast episodes.
0: Still, you've got, uh, you've done a lot of work. Let's put it that way. (laughs) I have
1: that. I have. I've been working on, I've been working freshly since 2002, so.
0: Okay. So, you, you briefly touched on what Pugmire is, is that it's, Kind of D and D with dogs, and while I've not read it, I have skimmed through it a little bit, and it it feels one very very clever to me, and two, like it's D and D without a lot of the stuff that confuses a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Is that yeah, that was is that reasonably that accurate by design?
1: Yeah, I mean I, that was my goal, right? Like, um, when I first started working on it, actually, let me. Take a step back. The actual premise of Pugmire Proper is that it's actually far in the future of our world. Um, so it's not post-apocalyptic in genre, but it's the same kind of idea. It's like, it's like thousands, maybe millions of years in our future. Humans are gone, and uplifted dogs, cats, and other species now are in control the planet. Uh, so my initial pitch was more kind of Gamma World in flavor. Uh, but pretty quickly, I was like, I wanted to use at the time 3.5 D and uh, D because my the Kickstarter for Pugmire launched like right at the time that 5e also launched for D and D, so that mm-hmm. was really awkward. Um, but my goal was, I was like, I, I, I 3.5 is okay, but uh, you know there, there's a lot of stuff that comes with it, mm-hmm. and so my design goal was, I wanted to make the D and D game that everyone remembers, not the D and D game that actually exists. And so there was often a lot of attempts to kind of uh, streamline. So, like uh, the example I gave when I was talking to uh, Onyx Path originally about it was, it's like when you rebuild a classic car, you know, uh, some you, you can try to get as many original parts as possible and make it as as authentic as possible. But a lot of restaurants will also just like, okay, but let's put like a modern suspension in, let's put anti-lock brakes in, uh, uh things that you can't really see but certainly make the experience much more pleasurable when you're actually driving it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Kind of my goal is like, I want D&D to be fun to play and not have to have some of the rigmarole that comes with it.
0: Now I I, I like how you phrase it as the D&D everyone remembers, not the one they actually printed, because I think there is a, a significant difference in, in what do you want to say? The memories a lot of us have, or even just mm-hmm. what we think of as the game and then what we get into at the table. Absolutely.
1: Um, and like I, about four or five years ago, I was like, you know what I want to do is I want to run an AD&D game, first edition, straight by the book. And then I read the book, and I was like, I do not want to do this anymore, because <laughs> <laughs> the, the AD&D that was in my head was not the AD&D on the page.
0: Yeah, that's I I can identify with that. I, I didn't play much first edition ad and D. I I cut my teeth in the later days of of well, two er as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, Dark Sun was the the first setting I ever played D anD D in. Oh wow! Um, but uh, I actually I fell in with a group in college, and that's where I started gaming. That just played a lot of different stuff, but our kind of like the hub game, if you will, was this big Call of Cthulhu game. Mm-hmm. And so it was, you know. But then this person ran Cyberpunk, and this person ran Dark Sun, and this person, you know, I ran Rifts, and so you Ooh. know, we had this big swirling thing of you know. Different people running different stuff, and it was it was really a neat experience. And I think you know it, it kind of informed where I am now. And that, yeah, D and D is cool, but there's all these other games and all these <laughs> other settings. Mm-hmm.
1: And honestly, I, I mean, I have been on record as being somewhat of a Rifts apologist, so I'm with you on this. But also, I think Rifts <laughs> is another one of those games that you remember it being different than what it actually is when you go back and look at it again.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yeah, I've got I've got quite a collection of of the books and. Yeah, every time I open them, I go, yes, there's a reason why I haven't run this in 20 years.
2: <laughs> oh, right. That dust is there for a reason.
1: <laughs> it's like, read, 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 mega damage. Then from my mind. I'm done. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, I've actually got the Savage Rift stuff that I keep meaning to, to deal with, but oh, I don't know so base Savage Worlds that well. So kind of want to get that grokked before I add the rifts on top of it.
1: No, actually, fair enough. Actually, one of the reasons why I got reacquainted with it is because uh, I don't know if it's come out yet, but I did do um one of the supplements for Savage Riffs, um, and because my friend uh, Sean Fannin was like, "Hey, I want I want you to write some riff stuff." I'm like, "Man, I love riffs." You know, and he's like, "Yeah, I'll give you all the PDFs. You can research stuff." It's like, "Cool, great. What do you want to write?" It's like you should write vampires, and I'm like, "Oh, really? You're gonna talk to the vampire guy to write vampires? Really, Sean?" <laughs> uh, but it, but I was like, "Okay, no, that'd be fun. Let's do. It Cause it'd be a different take." And that's when I realized, because I got the the PDFs, there searchable, so I could, just, I could just search through all the PDFs. And I learned that vampires are mentioned in every Riff's book. <laughs> <laughs> all of them. And I'm like, oh, my God.
0: Which, what, they're up to about 45 or so at this yeah. point? Yeah.
1: Now, some of it's like, hey, you might want to have the vampire weapons, so we're going to reprint those here. So some of it's like, just reprint the material. But I don't know that when I have, like, Seventy-five million PDF hits in my search. <laughs> like,
0: quick, yeah, no click, kidding.
1: Click. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was fun. It was fun. Yeah, yeah.
0: Anyway, we can we can get more into that. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm really you know like I said I haven't read Pugmire, but it feels like you you've done a lot with kind of the tropes of how people think about dogs and how people mm-hmm. think dogs think about people. Mm-hmm. You know, and and like I said, what what I've skimmed of it, it just feels really clever and like like gotta be honest as much as i'm not a big fantasy gaming person like i kind of want to play this at some point just because <laughs> it feels fun
1: <laughs> and that was definitely a goal right like um when i started working on it um one of the things that i have firmly believed as a designer for quite a while now is that D D is ultimately a genre People say it's a fantasy game. It, it really isn't. It's, it's a DD and d game. Now, since D&D has become popular, there's a lot of fantasy that's spun out of it that emulates D&D. So that works well. It's like, okay, so this also looks like D&D. But if you look at fantasy, like from the 70s and earlier, mm-hmm. fantasy is very different. Uh, and there are still lots of spurs of fantasy now that don't really harken to what D&D does specifically. So if you look at the... I'm going to go into... Design nerdity, which I hope that the RPG podcast would be okay with, but
2: we're the um, only people that matter. So,
1: <laughs> if fair enough, as long as, as you like are happy,
2: <laughs> everybody else
1: doesn't watch the viewers' listeners' tank while I talk about this. But, um, so, uh, in game design, there's an idea called the court game design loop, right? Which is this is a thing that you do on a regular basis. Um, for gumshoe, it's you go into a scene, you collect the clues, you Make meaningful dice rolls, and you go on to the next scene, you collect more clues until you ultimately solve the mystery. That's really the core gameplay loop for Gumshoe. Um, for D&D, it is uh, buy equipments, kill monsters, get golden experience to buy better equipment, to get better powers, to kill bigger monsters. That's the core gameplay loop. And D&D does that really, really well. They've spent 40 plus years refining that loop. It's so good that video games started emulating that gameplay loop, and now video games have refined it even further. And that's fine that it's it's a I play d and d alive three different five a games d and d does that well, but when you apply that to you playing a fantasy version of your favorite pet, it gets really awkward real damn fast, so I was like, okay, I have to look at different fantasy. I have to look at other kinds of fantasy like uh red wall like um uh some like the 50 movies that disney had um uh. Basil Baker Street. Things where animals are in fantastic situations, but they're not doing this kind of loop. And I had to make sure the rules adapted for that. So uh, one of the first things I did was I, I got rid of experience points and I got rid of money. If, there, if you no longer have any financial or mechanical incentive to kill creatures, then killing characters isn't necessarily your go-to move it is going to be for some people and that's fine if that's what you want to do the game certainly permits that but if you want to run away or make friends or you know a, a sneak past whatever those are all equally mechanically viable now because in the, the day when you, and when the story is over you go up and level that that's the only qualifier for level up and money is just another kind of vague piece of equipment it's like how much money do you have I have some coins okay that's enough bribe the guard and move on. You don't track any of that, so you're not shaking down corpses for spare cash anymore. You know, uh, the the rolling bums in alley method of gameplay, you're not doing that. It doesn't play well with what Pugman wants to do. Um, Other things are like, uh, with the cycle, there is a mechanical need to rotate equipment, right? The, The plus one sword is something that's really great when you first get it, but then after a few levels, the game needs to give you something bigger so that you can then replace it with the new mechanical thing. So you get your plus two sword, your plus three sword, your plus one armor, whatever. Uh, and what that leads to is throwing away what used to be a very valuable item or giving it to someone else and taking the new item. So instead, I now have magical items that actually get more powerful as you go to the gameplay. I want more of the Excalibur thing of like, this is the object that, that I have, it's, it's useful. And um, there's even some rules in there for if uh, you adventure for this and then you give that item to someone else, they get all of that ability too. So then there's the there's a reason why I've saved this sword for three generations. Your grandfather carried this sword and his, father, his son carried a sword. Now it's your, you know, you and my daughter will not carry the sword. There's a mechanical reason to do that
0: now. Okay, so it sounds like almost you've got where you're, and I know I'm perhaps— kind of oversimplifying but almost your equipment levels with you or your equipment levels also
1: sort of yeah so basically um uh what what actually happens is um uh one of the things i did is i've i've i discovered that lots of people like to make custom builds as something they find fun in character creation so uh in D D can't really do that unless the system explicitly gives you permission to. It's at this level you get this thing and next level you get the next thing. Only magic users can really customize to any kind of meaningful degree. There's a couple of other exceptions now in 5e, but 3.5 era, that was pretty much all you got. Um, So instead, what I did is I broke everything out into what I call tricks because dogs. And uh, you basically pick which tricks you want each level. And some of those like those tricks you can refine if you choose to. Instead of getting a new trick, you can make your existing trick more powerful. So let's say you're playing a, a Ratter, which is my equivalent of a Rogue, and you get uh, you know, a, a direct strike, which is you know backstab effectively. Um, if you want to, you can pick up Trap Sense at next level, or you can say, I want to make my backstab more effective, and you refine that trick, and it gets more powerful. Weapons are in some armor and some magic items the same way. They, they can come with tricks. And those, some of those tricks can be refined, and the, the key is that um, from a purely selfish level, there's no difference between refining a trick on equipment and returning a trick on yourself. But from a game world perspective, if I refine a trick on the weapon, on the sword, and they give it sword to somebody else, they have all of the benefits of those refinements. So it's more of a long-term investment. Of course, flip side is if you lose your sword, then temporarily you're not going to have access to those tricks. So there is kind of a trade-off. To that, um, but you have the option to have the family heirloom that way because you have specifically invested some of your character levels into that item.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it also, I think, creates the the what do you want to say the trope that you see in in movies or film, whatever. Hey, here, take my sword; it does this. Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely.
2: so I mean, I think that's a neat neat addition. Yeah, I like that addition because it also gives incentive I- incentive because. Like you stated in D&D, it's a lot of, well, I don't need this anymore because it doesn't give me the stat bonus, but it right. gives the incentive for role play to be like, well, I'm attached to this. Like, mm-hmm. I put my blood, sweat, and tears into this. Right, and um,
1: whenever I made these decisions, I mean, I, I, I was ultimately thinking of, of what makes for a fun game, but also whenever I was on the fence about a decision, I was go, can I tie this to dog behavior? And one of the things <laughs> that, looking at my own dogs is like, Sometimes you can give them all the toys in the world. It's like this toy's fun, this toy's fun, but this old beat up toy right. I got they it have, two years ago. Mm-hmm. Always go their back favorite. to it. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yes. And and but so mechanically, if it's like, yes, I know this sword is beaten up. I got this one's level one, but gosh darn it, this is the thing I really want to commit to and I'm just gonna really invest in.
0: Mm-hmm. My dog is, is very much that way. And she also I don't know if anybody else's dogs do this. She has types of toys that she prefers. Mm-hmm. Like for mine, for whatever reason, stuffed squirrels or anything football shaped. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And don't ask me why, because it's been multiples of both. But mm-hmm. those are consistently her favorites.
1: Yeah, my my, my boxer she uh, loves crinkly toys. Um, so squeaky toys, just like eh, whatever. But if it crinkles and rattles, it's like oh oh, what's that?
0: Give me that. With that. <laughs> <sighs> so. I don't know, do you want to get into a little bit maybe, like, you know, and the only one I've looked over at all is, is the core book. And I know you've got some expansions that have, you know, cats and assorted other creatures. But it looked like what you did in a lot of ways is you broke out some of the, what do you want to say, more common traits associated with different dog breeds and kind of used them much in the same way that, that D&D uses race yeah. or heritage or whatever they're calling it now. i I'm, I haven't followed it that closely, to be honest.
1: Yeah, no. um, so Yeah, and that's kind of where it started, right? Like, uh, the idea came about when uh, I was walking my two pugs, and uh, one of them was elderly, one's a little younger, and so the younger pug named Puck was very kind of, I'm going to go for it, and I'm going to make friends and say hi to everybody. And Murray was the older black pug, and he was just like, I'm just going to stay back and watch you do all the stupid things and then learn from that experience. Uh, and it just popped in my head. It's like, oh, so you're standing back because you cast spells and you're into high intelligence and you're running into battle because you're a berserker and, you know, doing all of the charisma things. Um, and then I realized that pugs are terrible at battle because they're all charisma and nothing else. <laughs> I mean, they certainly have low constitution. And then I started putting pieces in my head together and I was like, Okay, but that actually kind of tracks, um, and so uh, I kind of looked at like different uh, breed groups, and immediately became just confused slash disgusted at how all that works. Uh, but it did give me some interesting kind of demarcations of you know companions as a concept and worker dogs as a concept. And when I, when I started seeing those commonalities, I realized they mapped to most of the D and D attributes, which is really at a core all heritage does, frankly. I mean, it, gives you, it gives you a couple of special benefits, and it gives you a bump to a stat. And I was like, well, the, the bump to stat part seemed to work pretty well.
0: Um, On that, or... Sorry? No, Okay, I, apparently my connection's being a little weird or something.
1: Oh. <clears throat> um, so, uh... I was like, okay, so this, this kind of maps pretty well to to heritage. Uh, and that way I don't have to have dogs as one group and cats as another group. I can have different variations of dogs in a way that makes sense. Uh, and then uh, during the Kickstarter we did, uh, I got a, a fantastic email from someone who was a dog behavior specialist. And uh, she did a very long email. gave me so much good information. But one thing she said that stuck with me is that all dog group slash training exercises amount to is how far along in the prey cycle does the dog get before the training stops them. So if a dog is a hunting dog, it's all the way to the end. Basically, you hunt until I tell you to stop hunting. Um, Pugs have no prey drive. They're basically right at the top, done. Um, But there are gradations in there. It's like you know, uh, chasing or hunting or chasing down or whatever. Uh, So that's what a lot of dog behaviors do is they, they try to figure out which point in their prey drive the dog is inclined to go and do they need to curb that at any point and it breaks down to about roughly six groups so i was able to kind of shuffle some things around at that time and, and, and adjust them and dial them in a bit better uh and then from there it's like okay i want to do something that looks a bit like the traditional D classes but uh one of the things i wanted to do because I've seen it, this is more the d you remember how the d that actually exists. d that actually exists tends to really encourage single attribute specialization. Usually there is a single attribute that a class is good at and you just kind of build the entire character around that one thing. And I was like, I, I really wanna divide that up, particularly spellcasters, right? It's like basically, if you're a wizard, you dump everything intelligence. If you're a cleric, you dump everything in wisdom. And there's just no mechanical reason not to. Uh, I wanted to divide that up because I felt dogs were a little more complicated than that. Um, so I said I want to have two attributes for each calling, and that started to shape the look of them. So like I was like, I had my wizard class. Uh, I gave non-intelligence but also charisma, and I'd say, like, okay, so a little bit of bard in here. Um, and so it's a little more like – it became like called the artisans, which are people who study objects but also – because these are mysterious objects and dogs value ancient history, they also kind of have to talk to other people to learn more, to make themselves more powerful, to get better understanding what they've what they acquired. So they have to be social in order to get that kind of communication going. Uh, um, with the uh, same thing with the guardians, that's like my, my warrior class, they also have charisma because I wanted to have that slide towards general as well as you know, door guard. It gives some some fluidity in there. Also, because I think that's uh, one of the things that DnD four he did really really well was make non strength based, non dexterity based warriors interesting. And one of them is is the the um, tactics master that you can actually direct people. And then they've now having five 518. At the time, I was like, this is so amazing. <laughs>
0: um,
1: so my callings were shaped by the setting and also shaped by my mechanical needs. And some of them are going to be. Really close. Like if you just look at them with a basic knowledge of D and D, you're gonna oh that's this, oh that's that, and you're gonna be mostly right. Because I don't. I again, I wanted to have people the D D they remember. It's like oh I, I remember playing wizards. Wizards are cool. Which one's the wizard class? That one cool. Okay, and I get spells. Great, that's what I want. I want spells, and I want to be smart. Oh, well, that's also there. Great. But there's this extra layer there. Oh, I can also do this. I can also do that. That's new and interesting, and that helps to set my setting out a bit more. But again, it's really just relatively small moving pieces, design pieces around, uh, kind of behind the scenes. So that way, the person, when you're approaching the book, it's like, it's pretty straightforward. But um, I, my, my goal is to kind of make it as, as easy, as get rid of all the stuff that isn't strictly necessary to the game I want to make. And then make everything else as clear as possible. I have had several people... Say to me that they didn't understand fifth edition D anD D. They played Pugmire and were then able to go back to fifth edition D anD D and use that knowledge to better understand five e, cool. which I think is a huge compliment.
0: Yeah, I would as well. Now it also feels like because of the way you've kind of de-emphasized single attributes that from a from a just a design standpoint, it's probably also what do you want to say with advancement? I'm going to guess it's maybe a little more flexible than than D anD D. Absolutely. It absolutely is. Um, It
1: is entirely possible to take a spellcasting class and choose not to take spells. It is never an option no one has ever taken, but it is there. If you wanted to play an artisan who just doesn't study magic, but is all in on being a charming, suave person, you can totally do that. And you have some arcane knowledge to back it up, and it's interesting, but you just can't cast spells. Um, It is possible to make a, a shepherd, which is the cleric class, um, who's all-in on healing or has zero healing ability and is just extremely knowledgeable and, and, and has a lot of depth of knowledge and history, as uh, much more of a scholar archetype. You can play that. Uh, that's definitely my goal. I, I have I designed it so that way there are two kind of pretty clear paths. Uh, there's one that's really obvious for people who are familiar with these games. Like if you play The Ratter, which is my rogue analog, Here's the backstab. Here's the trap sense. Here's, you know, all of the stuff that you expect a thief character to do. But also, you have second wind. And it's like, well, that's not something I expect to see with a thief character because they're, they're, they live on the streets. They're tough. They have to survive. Mm-hmm. So, that, that survival build is also something you can dig into if you want to. Um, like I said, with the, the Guardian, there is much more the uh, uh, tactician build. Where you're not really doing much of fighting, but you're actually giving buffs to other people to help them fight better. That is absolutely a viable build. They're minor builds, but also it's not like D and D where you have basically alternate classes or multi classes. Instead, it's the I could pick this and I could pick this, and you can kind of pick and choose a la carte and build that out however you fit. So if you want to have a thief with all of the abilities that you're kind of okay at, that's kind of like old school AD and D for a where it's like I have a little bit of all the thief skills. Um, or you can dig deep and say, no, I just want to be the assassin. And so it's nothing but backstab. I refine that thing three or four times. I, I build up my dexterity. Um, and I'm just going to murder people in the streets because I'm that kind of dog. You can play that too. And there's nothing in the rules saying, well, to do that, you have to pick these specific options. You can each level are going, well, I think I want this now. Well, I think I want that now. Because I wanted each level for players to actually have a meaningful choice. Uh, because one of the things that I think D&D falls down on, at least modern iterations of, is you could program it. Like, I mean, I've used D&D Beyond, and I click it. It gives you a few things you click on. Maybe you get, like, a choice of a new skill or something, and then that's it. But most levels, you click the button, and just a bunch of numbers go up, and you have nothing to do with it. And on a higher level, that's still interesting and fun. Well, I got the powers I have right now. Cool and interesting, and I got a new power access maybe. But... I do like it when when my character progresses i have an interesting choice in front of me to how my character is going to grow
0: well i think this goes to what you were saying a little while ago about the core gameplay loop and where with you know the basic loop for dungeons and dragons is kill things get money experience get stuff mm-hmm. you know slash get better stuff and <clears throat> where it's not so much about Development and it sounds like what you've built here allows for it to be much more about character development. And I'm guessing when you're talking about these choices and whatnot, let's say you were building a more spellcaster, spellcaster that's you know slinging spells, but then something happens and they decide, you know what? No, I just want to learn all this stuff that you can just kind of like put it on pause and go in this other branch mm-hmm. of the same thing. But then you could come back or. You, am I reading that correctly from what you're telling me?
1: You're absolutely right uh, because how spellcaster tricks work is that uh, each level you get a couple of spells because, I mean, I, I didn't want to make... I You get more spells, a choice. Like you, there's a small trickle of spells you always get. But you can say, I can refine that spellcaster trick to get a whole bunch of spells, so I get six spells at that level. You can refine a trick to say, okay, I only get two spells, but now I can get the next level of spells up, so I can get level two spells now. Or you could say, I'm not a fine trick at all. I'll just take my two spells, and I'm going to get, like, occult uh, knowledge. Um, and I'm going to get a thing that gives me advantage on lore checks. or whatever. I think it's one of the ones that's available. Um, or in Monarchies Mouth, there's one where it's like, I'm going to cast my spells better. Uh, just generally better. But I'm not getting any new spells, necessarily. Uh, so you have, right, th- those options where it's like, I've been noticing my group needs this. So regardless of what on-rails progression the game is giving me, I can choose you know what, my players are kind of dumb and need some help getting healings, so I'm actually going to pick up the healing trick as a shepherd. I was going to kind of just get some more spells, but I better get the healing trick make sure my healings are really good because I have to patch these idiots up constantly.
0: But I like that because it, it, cause that is one thing that, that I've grumbled with with the way most of 5e has been done is that like you kind of pick a path at the beginning of, you know, past third level. Mm-hmm. Aside from multi-classing, you're on a rail. And yeah, you can do stuff with different feats and whatnot, but it, it, you know, and, and look, I mean, Russ Morrissey made a whole new system out of it, Mm -hmm. you know, with level up, but it sounds like what, you know, you did obviously came significantly before that and, and addresses a lot of the same issues, but also again, it's the D and D that we remember fondly as you're kind of saying it, not necessarily the one that's in the rule book that we most of the time don't want to be bothered to look up.
1: Right. Um, it, 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 it's, it's definitely uh, aspirational D&D. I think is the best way to kind of describe it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like one of the design decisions I've made, which has been one of the more controversial ones. Well, no, giving her the money was the most controversial one. Uh, one of the more controversial ones is I have a level cap at 10. There are some optional rules because there's nothing mechanically that you can't just keep taking more tricks because there's no XP chart. There's no linear progression. So just keep taking more stuff. Uh, but game is written, you cap at level 10, and there's two kind of reasons for that. Uh, from a design perspective, every version of D&D, in my opinion, always goes wrong around level 10. Beyond level 10, the power gets wonky. Uh, th- that's the point where the uh, slow build of spellcasters overtakes the faster build of martial characters, and spellcasters become... Intensely overpowered around that point. Uh, the monster math gets kind of wobbly around you know, 12 or 13 in 5e and at different points in other games. But also, a lot of games these days, frankly, most games wrap up around level 10. Uh, We're just not, people don't play for 20 years with the same characters anymore, right? Uh, so, there was a a mechanic reason, but also from an aesthetic standpoint, level 10 feels like it's not quite enough time. And that's the relationship we have with dogs. We never quite have enough time with them. Uh, so I wanted to say, you know what? You're done adventuring. You could still be an old dog, and you just can't learn any new tricks. You know, it's a good way to remember. You know, a little 10, no more tricks. But uh, the, then the game's like, you know, well, now you can make new characters, and you can that sword you've been investing in, now you can hand it off to your pup and play your pup as a character, and they can go off and have it. Um, so I wanted to reflect... That dog experience, it goes back to, like I said, not only is it aspirational DD, but also is specifically DD and tunes to talk about the relationship we have with pets. It's not, there's something else, is that it's not just a funny animal game. It, it, it's a funny game that has animals in it, absolutely, but it's specifically about cat, dogs, cats, uh, lizards, birds, the relationship we have specifically with domestic animals. A lot of the game, the setting, the rules are geared around that specific experience. And Mm -hmm. so if you want to make rules to have chinchillas or bat characters, I'm not going to stop you. It's your game. Have fun. But that's not the game I'm making. Um, And so a lot of design decisions, I have put a lot of thought into why I made those decisions. And uh, sometimes people find that interesting. Uh, Sometimes they're just like, there are also benefits at the table. And so they're more interested in that. And that's fine. It doesn't matter to me. Um, because I do try to think of both sides of that. Is this fun to play? And also, how does this resonate with the setting I want to make? But there are a lot of times when people cram their pet idea into the OGL. I don't see that same thought happening. It's just, oh, this is the most popular system, so I have to kind of shove it in there with my foot and make sure it works with the D20. And (laughs) it, it, it doesn't resonate the same way.
0: No, I I get exactly what you're saying because I think there's a lot of games right now, especially with, you know, the OGLs that, oh, it's 5e compatible. Well, that's fine. But the mechanics of how 5e works don't serve the themes you're trying to do. Right. And that's where, correct me again if I'm wrong here, well, Pugmire looks, is going to feel very familiar to anyone who's played any amount of 5e it is not marketed as a quote unquote 5e compatible game correct
1: yeah no it is um uh it is derived from uh but um the marketing point is because of course as the you can't use D language it's it's a um uh, a refined and simplified version of the world's most uh and it's it's pretty easy to eyeball OGL stuff and cram it into the game. I mean, I wanted to give some flexibility in that front, but at the end of the day, if the decision was make my game better or make my game compatible with D&D, I always went with make my game better. And so I've certainly had people like, well, I've tried to put this in, it doesn't quite work. And it's like, that's because you're using D&D and my game isn't exactly D&D. Uh, most people embrace the spirit of that uh, because also I, I am a gamer of a certain age. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm name dropped AD&D. I mean, so I am grew up very much in a culture of you keep fiddling with numbers until it works at your table. Uh, and so I wanted to embrace that spirit with this game. And uh, there are lots of people who definitely are getting on board with that. But I recognize there are some people who are like, I want to play the books as written and I want them to exactly work. And that's why I'm very clear this is not a D&D source book because you will not have a pleasurable experience if that is your expectation. This is a completely self-contained game, and all of stuff that comes with it also works in that self-contained ecosystem. If you put five OGL 5e stuff into it, caveat emptor, because it's not going to work the way necessarily you intended it to.
0: That's fair. Now, and I, but I appreciate the fact that, that you went that route and said, look, does this make it 5e compatible, or does it make it a better game? And always went to better game. Mm-hmm. You know... Uh... I find it frustrating because, you know, we, we've done episodes about this in the past, and I think we give D&D a lot of grief that maybe it doesn't deserve all of, but at the same point, I feel like, too, it's like people just go, well, everyone wants to play 5E, so if I do this, that'll make my game sell better. Well, maybe it will, but what'll really make your game sell well is if it's a good game.
1: Yeah, there's... Um... Uh, there's a company whose name was, but I ran into their table at a convention and they had a big banner behind their game, a banner booth. I didn't know the name of the game. I could see it was a fantasy game from the art they had. The only text I could see from a distance was better than D&D. And I'm like, I have so many questions. But the first one is why? Why is that the most important part of your message? Because that's such a subjective term. And You're now completely defining your game by D&D. So if you're saying, I want to make this game because OGL is the most popular rule system in the market, that's fine. I I applaud you for my decision. But you either have to understand the core design loop of D&D and make sure your setting conforms to that. Or do what I did, which is recognize that that the game needs to bend to fit my intent and hope that people come along for the ride. And I have not seen people, I mean, I've seen people trip over minor rules. That's to be expected. I still do it occasionally. Um, I've seen recently people do the reverse, where it's like, I have a certain skill set, and people are like, roll the skills, it skills exist. Oh, yeah, that's right, that's for Pugmire, because I added some skills in Pugmire, because I thought they were useful. Um, And and, uh, initiative works differently, and I've had people just straight up use my initiative system instead in their D&D games. The the cross-inspiration certainly works. Um, but I mean, like, if you wanted to make a cyberpunk game where your job is you're hired mercenaries and you go off and you kill people for money and take their stuff to become bigger mercenaries to take on even bigger corporations, D D is fantastic for that game. Just basically find replace spell of cyberware and you're pretty much done. You know, I mean, it's obviously more work than that, but you know, the core design loop reinforces that gameplay. Um, but you know, if you want to do a My Little Pony game, you have a lot more work ahead of you to try mm-hmm. to make those two things balance
0: yeah so yeah that that yeah I, yeah, it's well, like we said, you know the, the system, and I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with a uh, Australian designer by the name of Steve D, and we had a, a decent mm-hmm. amount of conversation about you know how system does matter because mm-hmm. different sim yeah. different systems emphasize different things and permit different things, and you need to have. The system reinforce and permit the things that you want the game to be about mm-hmm. absolutely and and I think you know like you said if you your're if your selling point is that your game is better than d and d well one, that's a like as you said, that's a very subjective thing, okay, you know, for me, what's better than d and d could mean that well, in my case, maybe it's just not that d and d style fantasy right you for mean. someone else that could mean it has a lot more detail. Like if, if you're a Warhammer fan, you know, your expectation of what you want out of a fantasy game is going to be a lot different than d and
1: <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: You know, so, uh, yeah, I don't think, so to speak, if, if you want to call it that that comparative marketing is probably a good choice from a long-term perspective anyway.
1: Right. But, I mean, go back to System Matters, I mean, I, I've had people actually ask me, it's like, why use d and as a base at all, right? Like, um, I, I published it through Onyx Path Publishing, so I had the option to use their in-house system, which is moderately to heavily derived from uh, the, the classic White Wolf games like uh, World Darkness and whatnot, the D10 pool system. Mm-hmm. Um, I could have used Fate or any other off-the-shelf OGL besides D&D, uh, but I specifically wanted, again, that nostalgic experience. I, I wanted that feeling of... I remember when I had fun playing these games and what that experience was like and then mapping that nostalgia onto our fondness for dogs. Uh, uh, And it works kind of both ways in my experience is that people's fondness for dogs gives them more fondness for this style of play. I – And with you in the sense that I generally, if I have options between traditional fantasy or something else, I would probably try something else. I'm not against traditional fantasy, but it's not my jam. I'm much more of a a sci-fi or horror guy myself. Mm -hmm. Um, Superheroes as well. I've a lot of fondness for those. But I I know what D&D can do, and I know what it does well. Uh, I recognize it's very popular, and a lot of people really dig it. So I'm not going to harsh their buzz by telling them their game is stupid. Because it's not. Uh, But I am... Comfortable saying, if I'm going to make my game, I mean, on a design level, I gave you all these kind of high fluting. You know, here's how it maps to dogs, and here's the psychology blah, blah, blah. But also, on some level, what's the if I am going to make a and based game, I'm going to get rid of all the stuff that I hate about D D <laughs> because it's my mm-hmm. game. I have that option to do that. <laughs> it's like I think shopping is dumb, so we're getting rid of money, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> I just don't. Um, but also, like I wanted to have things like let's let's play with the genre a bit. Um, Another thing that's, that's funny to me is that D&D has become such a fossilized thing, uh, and it's not what it always was. When you go look back at late 70s, early 80s D&D, when they had no clue what they were making. They're like, I don't know. Let's put some Conan in here and some Lord of the Rings, and there's one module where literally you're dungeon growing through a spaceship. Because they didn't know what they were doing. Um, and well, to me, that's my yeah. D&D, right? That That's that bonkers wilds we don't know what's going on so let's just throw it on there and see what works i love that era, of d yeah
2: throw it at the wall see what sticks and mm-hmm. yeah I, <laughs> I i i very impressed i i'm very excited to get to run some Pugmire because i have friends and family that are like uh, D and then it's like well but you like dogs well yeah i have a game <laughs> <laughs> i have a game um, for you I have a game for you, and and I'm very excited to get to run some of that here in the near future. But um, is so? Let me ask you this: just sort of not to get away from Pugmire, but is Pugmire your the thing you're proudest of at this time? Uh, yes and no. Um, okay. I mean, it is because it's creator owned, right? Like it's
1: it's the only thing I have where I'm not written it for hire, I'm written it for the company. I get a paycheck and then I walk away from it. It's, it's something that it, it's it's. It's something I own, and therefore, it's, there's a large part of me in it. Um, and so I'm proud of that because it's – of all the other projects I can look at, people can criticize them. And I can kind of go, okay, well, you don't like that. That's fine. If someone criticizes Bugmar, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> 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 I will chase you off Twitter because you hate my dog game. Huh? How dare you? You know, I'm not really. But I mean, I, I have an instinct. At, because there's a lot of, of me in there. Um, but, you know, it, I always feel like I could do better. So uh, I, I can't point to one thing and say I'm proudest of this. Uh, if you had to put an aggregate, yeah, Bugmeier's at the top, obviously. It, it, there's a lot of things that I'm really happy with how it worked out. Uh, but also, I started working on this 2014. So it's, a, it's eight years to me, and it's nearly a decade. And of course, when I look back, it's like, ah, oh, I could have done this better. I've learned a lot about 5e specifically um, about this. Uh, I, I've learned about... Just design, I'm a better designer than it was eight years ago. Uh, so there's always the next thing. And, and so I always try to challenge myself. And I find that sometimes I'm proud of very small things. Like uh, I did a project for uh, Trending Continuum Aberrant, which is a kind of sci-fi superhero game. And I was like, okay, but what if it also had professional wrestling? And uh, Rich Thomas, the owner, is like, I really don't want to do professional wrestling. I was like, oh, just give me. 10,000 words, which is like 20 pages. And he's like, okay, fine. So I crammed an entire pro wrestling RPG slash Street Fighter homage into 10,000 words. <laughs> <laughs> and like the act of doing that, the, the five people who will appreciate that game, I will love them forever. Uh, because I know it's not, but I was very proud of how can I condense all of these tropes and genre conventions into extremely small space and still make it playable and fun. And it's, it's a bit too tight in retrospect. I mean, even now it's like, I've could have done that. I've done this better. Cause it's been a couple of years distance from it. Um, so, I mean, there's things I'm proud of that from pure design perspective, it's, it's really hard to point people and say, I'm this small tweak I made, it's invisible to you, but it changes everything. And I love it. <laughs> um, I'm also uh, proud of things like uh, it's kind of adjacent to it. I've had a great relationship with the YouTube channel Extra Credits. They do uh, these seven-minute educational cartoons about game design. And uh, I've kind of become their de facto uh, tabletop writer. I've written 15 scripts with them now. Um, and I've been able to talk about some really interesting topics through that and start, spark some interesting conversations with them. Um, but uh, the the proudest I think is that, uh, I've had people come to me and tell me things like, your game saved my life. And that's not a check. That's not a word count. That's not a sign. That's not something I could point to and say, well, this is the thing that saved your life. It's just something about me means another person is still on this planet or another person decided that they wanted to reveal their true gender to the world or someone decided that they were going to uh, work past some of their difficulties in life rather than let it succumb to them. Uh, I have had a good relationship with a group called the Madonna Group, uh, and they, they basically are licensed therapists who actually use tabletop role-playing games in their therapeutic sessions. And I was like, this is really cool. How can I help? And they're like, well, we appreciate you coming to us because apparently Pugmire is like extremely useful with at-risk kids. And I'm like, what? You know, it's like, it's a game about dogs with battle wow. axes. I, I don't even understand what's happening here. Uh, but, I mean, they've been able to point to, like, here's all the things in this game that has been resonating with our, our, uh, our clients and, and our, our kids. And it's not stuff that i put in there intentionally, so I can't claim credit for it. But I'm proud of the fact that people are looking at something I made and becoming – are helping improve their lives. That's just amazing to me. And I can't claim a, an ounce of credit for it. it just, I just I happen to just my silly dog game hit the right moment. But I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the fact that something I have a piece in can do that to me. So it's a really long rambling answer. It probably didn't answer your question at all,
0: but no, you did. That's perfect. <laughs> so that that's really cool. Now, uh, it's kind of just because you you've hit on it a couple times here. I know there are you know Pugmire is the the core book or whatever. Yeah, but you've got. I know you've got a cats expansion, and I know I believe you have a couple of other expansions which add assorted other, as you mentioned, you know lizards, et cetera. Mm-hmm. What are what what's the whole family at this point? I guess is a better way to ask it.
1: Yeah, so there's there's kind of two, two
0: levels to it. Um,
1: well, three, actually. Uh, so um, there's there's Pugmire and there's Monarchism Mount. Monarchism Mount is a separate complete game. It's in the same world as Pugmire. It's cross compatible with Pugmire, uh, but you play cats instead of dogs. Um, and this was because from my time working at, at White Wolf, is that, you know, you have a vampire game and a werewolf game and a mage game, and mm-hmm. those are all separate games that kind of connect, but they never really connected the way that they were supposed to. So I was like, I want to kind of do that. I want to have a dog game and a cat game. And, and it was important to me at the time, because um, I was like, I want to make sure cat people feel like they're being equally represented. And I also wanted the cat experience to be equally shaped by the mechanics. There are certain tweaks in the rules as to how cats work that are distinct to their version of the game. Uh, they're minor and they're articulated very clear, so you know exactly what they are. Uh, but if you are a cat person and just don't want to deal with dogs, so I could pick up Monarchy's out and have a perfectly satisfying experience, and other stuff adds to that. Uh, I don't know if I would do that again because it's caused more problems than it helped, but uh, I've had people who genuinely like it, and it did allow me to do things like I can kind of dial in the darkness a little bit. Mao is a little more intrigue. There's more Game of Thrones, not to the explicit level, but I mean in terms of the the intrigue and the darkness, I mean, it's, it's a visually darker book. Um, so I was able to kind of dial in that tone a little bit more. There's a little more creepiness in that game. And, and I think that works well. I couldn't do that if it was just a supplement necessarily.
0: Yeah, well, cats are, what do you want to say, more aloof and sinister than dogs as yep. a general rule. You know, like it, it reflects in the, in the person, like just the personalities of the animals, which you, know, you said was kind of one of your core things. Exactly. Dogs work well together. And that's why... I, Pick d frankly, was like dogs are
1: pack animals, DD party design, another piece where that all works together. Um, cats are more social and have more connection than people give them credit for. But also from a pop culture perspective, yes, cats are individualists. They 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 go off, they do their own thing, they roam the streets at night, they, you know, wear a leather jacket and smoke cigarettes. You know, that that's the archetype we're talking about. Um and so that's going to lead towards intrigue much more easily. And so we have different political factions and they're doing different things. Each cat has, you know, they they work together, but also they have own interests. Um, And so on the back end, there's different designs as to why that is like uh, on a large scale. Um, Dog powers generally work better when you help other people out. Cat powers are, they make yourself cool and then there might be benefits to other people just kind of by being so cool in proximity to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then we have uh, two actual... Um, Explosive supplements. Uh, I have uh, Pirates of Pugmire, which has playable rules for lizards and birds, but it's really the seafaring rules for both Pugmire and Mao. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, there's a separate city called Water Dog Port, which is kind of an independent city, so neither dogs nor cats control it. There's a whole history as to why that is. And it's more cosmopolitan, so you see more lizards and birds there. And also the kind of, you know, Lizards and hotter spaces and birds and tropical. Mean, there's lots of thematic resonances with piracy that I thought.
0: I'm sorry, that you thought what appeared to have dropped out. Yeah. Still there, Eddie? Hello? He
2: thinks, he thinks we lost him.
0: We may have. Well, he seemed to be dropping out occasionally here and there. Yeah.
2: Hello? Or, uh, maybe send a private message on Discord. Yeah. Should be able to just right click on his face. Hello. Oh, oh there you are. Hey, uh, you're back. <laughs>
1: Sorry, my my internet just flaked out for a second there. Okay. That's
2: okay. I we were sure just gonna check
1: on you because uh, mid thought yeah. and you dropped. <laughs> so where where was I at? And I'll tar- I'll
2: start again. Uh oh man, you're asking the two guys with ADHD <laughs> to remember. Fair, fair uh,
1: <laughs> Did you get my Pirates of Pugmire stuff?
2: We were talking about it. You were saying was... about you'd spoken about the um birds and the the lizards. The lizards being more uh. High-tempered, okay. and the birds um, the, being more th- tropical.
1: Then I'll just Sorry. I'll just start again with Pirates of Pugmire, and then you can edit from that point. Sounds good. And then there's uh, Pirates of Pugmire, which is a supplement for both Pugmire and Monarchies of Mao, um, and that's it has playable rules for lizards and birds, um, but it's much more kind of piratical adventure. Uh, there's uh, a city called Waterdog Port, which is not controlled by either cats or dogs. Uh, so there, it's kind of an independent state, and so it's more cosmopolitan. so there's reasons why there are dogs and cats and lizards and birds there. but also the you know the resonances of like uh, um lizards living in hot spaces and you know tropical birds Whatnot. I thought there was a good resonance with those uh, species in particular uh, being playable there. Uh, but really, it's kind of uh, my one piece homage if I didn't only recently discover one piece. <laughs> uh, it I was serving one piece and going, I wish I had read this when I made this book, because there's a lot of connection there. <laughs> um, but my uh, latest one, and, and something that uh, you might appreciate, Steve, is uh, Squeaks to the Deep, uh, which is my my mouse and rat book, but they are psychic instead of having magic spells. Oh, nice. Uh, huh. Because I feel like sanics have not been done well since Dark Sun. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but also, I mean, we have a weirdly large amount of fiction of rats and mice with psychic powers. So, you know, there's like Pinky in the Brain, kind of toys with it, um, The Rats of Nim. Uh, uh, you know, there are lots of other things where, where rats and mice have some kind of strange psychic abilities. Uh, and so I wanted to play with that. And uh, that's also kind of my nod to the Mega Dungeon. Uh, where it's, it's like a big, huge underground space called The Underneath, and they all kind of live there. But it's all, again, all the cool bits of the Mecha Dungeon, which is there's interesting, cool set pieces. But then instead of lots of empty corridors, I literally have just a table of, here's 20 random, uh, or all 12 random corridors that you can just kind of walk through. And so basically you go, so here's set piece A, and then you go through some weird corridors, maybe have a random encounter, and then now here's set piece B. And that's it. And there's even setting material for like the the, the the tunnels shift and move. So there's a reason why there aren't clear maps and stuff. And if you forgot where these things connect up, well, the tunnels moved um, because I think that mega dungeon gameplay is interesting, but it had not been meaningfully adapted since the eighties. Uh, so I'm always kind of using supplements as a way to kind of also dig into a subsection of d gameplay and reinvent that because again, like the pirates, there is then a weird trend of aquatic D&D gameplay that's never quite crystallized. So it's like, oh, I want to take kind of my, my, my stab at that. Uh, and there are uh, kind of a, 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 another outer tier of, of more minor supplements. We have uh, the role of cats and dogs, which is basically a bunch of pre-generated characters that are largely derived from some very generous Kickstarter backers. Um, we have uh, adventures for curious cats, which are just another handful of ventures for Monarchies of Mao. Uh, We have a couple of anthologies of uh, stories, um, one of which, uh, the the Pugmire one, which is Tales of Good Dogs, uh, was actually edited by uh, James Lauder, who uh, formerly uh, was involved with the TSR fiction division and got some of his TSR alum fiction friends to write for. Uh, And then uh, Tales of Curious Cats, or Excellent Cats, Which is had some more modern writers, but also um, some establishments. Like I, uh, one of them, the uh, Mal book, the person who wrote the fiction book uh, Installing Limits on Dead Badger, actually did a Dead Badger joke story inside of that anthology, (laughs) which is amazing. It's it's a a weird Frankenstein riff. It's it's wonderful. Uh, So um, then the kind of we I have the ancillary stuff outside of that. I, Domics Path was nice enough to indulge me saying, I want to make a deck builder game using Pugmire. And they're like, okay, what? Uh, but um, I pitched them on it and they were happy with it. Uh, so it uh, now exists uh, Fetch Quest, which is basically a light deck builder. Again, let's take what's interesting with deck builder, strip out all of the uh, more complicated stuff and make it introductory level deck-building game for people who are intimidated by deck-building games. Uh, and it's just you go on a quest and you keep going on a quest until you succeed or you fall over and you have to go back home. And then because this is creator-owned, I have the ability to take the game in other directions. Uh, so um, I worked on an interactive novel for Pugmire, uh, which done by the company Choice of Games. Uh, and basically, it's it's like choose your own adventure, but it's on your phone. And the software actually remembers all of your choices. It can track those if they're meaningful. So, for example, for my game, um, if you consistently pick choices that favor dogs over cats, then cat characters start to look at you differently throughout the course of the game. Uh, if you pick choices that are more aggressive than friendly, then you know, your, your, your stats will slide towards being an aggressive dog as opposed to a friendly dog. And then at the end, that calculates towards how good of a dog you are at the end. Uh, I licensed out to a company that's doing a Monarchies of board game, although they haven't announced much about that yet. Um, I did an interactive audio drama with pugmire with a company called Earplay, so you could play on your alexa enabled devices or i believe android phones too um and with basically an audio drama but then at certain point in times the the game will prompt you for one of two choices sometimes three choices and then you tell the game which of those choices you want to follow and then it will again remember that and track through and you can play through an adventure that way and i got professional voice actors and sound effects and the whole nine year uh and then there's other stuff that is still being discussed, so i don't have any uh, anything to kind of announce on that front yet, uh, but yeah, so there's lots of other stuff happening besides just the role playing game, but really the role playing game is kind of the hub where all of that's radiating out from
0: okay well, I just want to say i mean it it's very clear, having had this conversation with you that this is something that you're very passionate about that you but at the same time you've also put a lot of careful thought. And and really thought about the choices you made at different points with it. And that it's it's a project that is very much a passion project, but also one you seem to be very driven to make excellent. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's, you know, I, I'm not trying to point a finger at anybody, but I think there's a, a lot of game design has sort of forgotten that passion and and that being willing to nod to where we came from.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be honest. When I've worked on over 150 projects, I didn't do 100% on all of them, I'm sure. You know, there's certain games where it's like I wasn't feeling well or I just fighting with the clients or I just wasn't feeling the game and maybe I didn't do my best work. Uh, But one thing I have been seeing over my 20 years in the industry is there are lots of amazing young talent who are trying some really fantastically innovative thing, and I applaud them. I am so happy they're here. But one thing I think gets lost sometimes is that the past of our hobby was also intensely innovative. And I think that there's just as much value at looking back at games and going, well, well, that you worked in these 70s and 80s designs rather than just constantly scrapping them and starting forward. So one of the kind of minor goals of a game like this was here's, here's some interesting stuff you do with D&D besides just slapping a 5e label on it and calling it a day.
0: Yeah, that's... Yeah. Uh, i i was quite curious before and and you've only increased that level
2: yes (laughs) so before we transition to the next part of the podcast where can you be found or where would you like to be found any social media any you know website um where can your games be found anything you want to pimp out go ahead and feel free to do so
1: um, the easiest way to find information about Pugmire specifically is I have a website called RealmsOfPugmire.com, So that will take you to all of the currently st- available stuff for Pugmire that I am aware of. So not only the Onyx Pass stuff, but even the ancillary stuff I've worked on. Uh, if people want to see my stuff, uh, my website is my company name, Pugsteady. It's P-U-G-S-T-A-D-Y. Uh, and then that's also my handle on Twitter. So if people want to follow me on Twitter, it generally... Uh, I, I post information about my upcoming projects. Although just recently I did make a werewolf, the apocalypse joke, which is weirdly trending. Um, I, I posted, that <laughs> I want to make a, a glass Walker social media mogul so I can call him like, and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so if you're here for bad jokes, that's definitely also a Twitter account. To follow.
0: <laughs> See, and, uh, also, um, since you haven't mentioned it, I'll just throw out there. You also, uh, participate in a very good uh media discussion podcast with uh chris spivey who we've had oh, on yes. as well called uh genreless.
1: Mm. thank you i'm glad you enjoyed that but yes that uh, chris spivey and i um decided we wanted something that didn't involve our jobs so we don't talk about <laughs> rpgs at all um except for the times when we absolutely do talk about rpgs by accident uh but yeah it's basically um we go through each season we pick a genre of television. Uh, so far we've done space opera and we're currently in uh, robot robot mecha anime. Uh, and we pick some representative shows and representative episodes in each of those shows and we just talk about what we think are the best episodes from that um, and then kind of deconstruct what does the show do well what does it do badly and how does it kind of Tie into the genre we're talking about, but a bit like this podcast, it, it, it's not really structured. It's more just an excuse to bullshit for an hour and have a tagline at the end. So it, it, it's not—it's—it's it's not rigorous. Band image It's just two people who love media who want like talking about media.
0: No, yeah, exactly. It, it is very kind of just two people sitting down and having a good discussion about you know like the. You know, Star Trek, Battlestar Galactica, et cetera. Yeah, I I really enjoy it. So,
1: thank you. I'm glad you're you're one of the three fans. I think to listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Chris and the other ones, but that's fine.
0: <laughs> well, hey, you know what? Uh, the the dirty secret with podcasting is you make it for yourself and just hope other people want to listen to it.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And that's exactly what Chris and I said. It's like, if you're here for the numbers, we can make a podcast like that, but I don't think either of us have fun with that, but we can make podcasts of fun and it'll find an audience and it sounds like it's starting to, which is fantastic to hear.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well it's a good show. So uh, I would advise, yeah. It's again it's called genreless. If you search it, it's on pretty much all the major podcatchers, I think, at this point.
1: Yeah, yeah. Google, Apple, uh, Podbean, genreless at podbean. No, it's uh Darker hue Studios at Podbean.com. But yeah, just search for Genreless podcast
0: Yep, I'll I'll throw a link for it in the show notes oh, cheers whatnot, but, Um All right. So uh with all that then, I think uh Steve, is it time for game of the week? give it a Week. Woohoo!
2: So I I I mean I know Steve gave you the rundown on how this works. Um pick a game that you like. Doesn't have to be new, doesn't have to be old, doesn't have to be anything anybody's ever heard of. Could be a board game. I don't really care. It just has to be a game you like. Um
1: <laughs> yeah. but oh go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say that it's like choose your favorite child, yeah. I understand.
0: Yeah, uh, you know. <laughs> it doesn't have to be one of yours either. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, would you like one of us to to go first? Um, so you get a little bit more of a feel of it or do you want to just mean, jump in head first?
1: I'll, I'll go first. That's fine. Um, uh, there's this great little game I've heard of called Pugmire. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's fantastic. No. You no. know what? Um, it
0: rings a bell. Like, I've heard about it recently, but.
1: Rings a bell? Dogs get it? Uh, oh, jeez. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't even <laughs> that. My dog's name is Pavlov. He's a, he's a Russian hound. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, uh, brief on Pugmire. Uh, that's the secret of Pugmire. If you run it, recognize that the first half hour of the game is just going to be nonstop dog puns and let players just get through it because it always happens. <laughs>
2: Well, I was just gonna ask how you made a, uh, I, I, I had this thought just a second ago, but how did you make a pirate expansion with labradors in your game? You couldn't keep them out of the water, like <laughs> just thrown in. That's well, they they you don't need to throw them. You just need to get them near water. <laughs> I, I know. Well, water.
0: <laughs> I had a dog, and he he passed a while back, but he was very clearly part lab. Mm-hmm. But this dog absolutely hated anything wet. Really, like. If you can imagine, like if it was raining outside, he did not want to leave the porch. If he had to walk on a like wet grass, if you can imagine, and this dog, Steve's seen pictures of him. He lab Rottweiler. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, big chunky dog, but to watch him walk on wet grass, if you can imagine a dog walking and going, Ooh, icky. (laughs) That was him.
1: (laughs) That is definitely my boxer. She is, she will melt if she gets rain on her. She's convinced.
2: Cut to my Yorkie, uh, Shizu mix, who is like, we got him a kiddie pool for the summer months when we're outside and just hanging out, you know, outside. (laughs) He will just get in it and lay in the kiddie pool like, (laughs) like you would, like a human would, like, just like, yeah, this is nice. I like this. I'll just lay here. (laughs) That's adorable. But yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway, Game of the Week.
1: No, my actual Game of the Week. Um, I, I had so many options go through my head. Uh, uh, but I, I, I forced myself to pick something because I know um, one of the things y'all do is you have uh, drive through links, and I know that that sweet, sweet affiliate money is useful. Um, so I picked something that's actually on Drive-Thru RPG. although I have a backup if you do want to hear it. But wow. um, when I picked... <laughs> well, then the one I picked for, for the clickable option is a, a great game called Isles. Uh it is a it's another fantasy game, it's another family-friendly fantasy game. So if you like Pugmire, it's probably a game you'll also like. Uh, but specifically, it is designed where all the um, it's a Celtic-inspired fantasy game, and all the magic uses American and British sign language. I
0: sound knew knew wow, heard about wow. This. that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, I knew I'd heard about this.
1: It's it's intensely cool because uh it, it's it's really about how to teach kids to normalize using sign language. Um, and it has great, uh, it not, not only talks about here's how ASL and BSL work, Here, here's the, the grammar for it. There's a, a website you can go to uh, that you, shows you videos on it, but it also talks mm-hmm. about things like deaf culture and how to respectfully uh, portray and talk to deaf people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's all through this lens of a very light, fun setting about uh, these, uh, what are called uh, pen dragons, that can manifest different elemental shapes, and they can use elements. So like, example, if you want to cast a fire spell at level one, if you finger spell fire, that gives a certain level of fire. But then, if you actually learn the sign for fire, that makes the fire more effective. And then, if you could put fire in a sentence, that actually gives you a higher level of ability. So, the more fluent and proficient you become in
2: sign language, the more powerful your magic becomes. That's fantastic. I love okay. that. As that as someone cool. who knows ASL, I love that.
1: Oh, you do? That's fantastic.
2: <laughs> yeah, I took it in college because they were like, you need a language. And I'm like, uh, the only one I see here that I actually want to take is this one.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've I've uh, had hearing loss most of my life. So I, I took ASL when I was a kid and I've, I've since forgotten just about everything. Um, yeah. So uh, when I saw this, I immediately backed and started because, yeah, anything that helps people get more comfortable
2: with American and British Sign Language, I am 100% behind. Yeah. Yeah. no, That's, just that's cool. awesome.
0: Well, I'd Steve, like I'm going
2: to let you go, because mine's a, mine's a goofy one, so okay, that's well, a little bit more serious than...
0: <laughs> okay, well, I was just going to say, I also, I like games that, what do you want to say, help you learn outside useful things, too, mm-hmm. you know, just
2: uh, as a general rule. Me but, and you need to sit down and just write like a like a car combat game that forces you to learn how to work on your car.
0: <laughs> no because it'll just every other card will be curse the engineers <laughs> <laughs> okay this is coming from someone who spent uh six to eight hours this past weekend putting transmission lines on a vehicle
2: yeah yeah exactly oh
1: man
0: <laughs> but in any case this is something that i that i kind of stumbled on actually through a kickstarter although this wasn't the specific game on kickstarter it was that was an expansion for this and also connects to our little bit of a palladium diversion earlier in the, in the show. And that is a game called mutants in the now, which is, uh, it's from a guy named Julian K. And this is not even trying to hide that. It is an homage to teenage mutant Ninja turtles. I
1: love that game,
0: (laughs) but so it's a, a retro modern take on, You know, mutant animals, you know, like it's, it's, it's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles with the serial numbers filed off and updated from the Palladium system that Eddie and I could probably spend a few hours (laughs) going, but, but, but about.
1: (laughs) But as you see.
0: (laughs) You know, it's. But yeah, it's, you know, the 80s and 90s, they ruled the streets, kick-flipping off villainous faces and slipping into the shadows. Then they vanished from the world of tabletop gaming. Yeah, so it's a, yeah, it's a, it calls itself a retro-modern retake on mutant animal role-playing games. Um, you know, it says 130 species of animals, everything Amazing. from earthworms to whales. Sweet. To so I can Pico, sure the Wolverine. Game. Yes.
1: Uh You play Street Sharks.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and and look, I mean, we all remember the actual Ninja Turtles. Some Mm -hmm. of us remember, you know, the original role-playing game. And look, it's good for Gonzo fun. I mean, this isn't (laughs) this isn't what you built Pugmire for at all it's kind of the other side of that animal role playing.
1: No, man, if you want a giant penguin with a laser in his head, it sounds like that's the game you want. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: 130 species, 200 mutation traits, 14 combat styles, (coughs) psionics, uh, intensely play tested rules, which could, you know, there were those who claimed that palladium may have skipped on that part. But anyway, (laughs) neither confirm nor deny. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, this is called Mutants in the Now, and uh, I know by the time this airs, if it hasn't already at the time of recording, there's an expansion called Mutants in the Next that has been released and funded on Kickstarter. Um, But yeah, I mean, this is, it is what it is, you know, that the name kind of says it all.
1: I want this so bad now. (laughs) What were saying before about you buy all the games that you guys talk about? Now I I understand. Now I get it. Yeah, <laughs> you understand.
2: Yeah. It's it's a I, the some of the people on the on the Discord have come to picking on me because I'm like, oh I bought that. Oh I'm buying that. Oh I bought that. No, that's it. You don't understand until you sit down and actually talk about it yourself. How hard it is to be like,
0: no, I don't need it.
1: Oh my god, they even used the and Charles fonts from the original comic. All right. Well, I'm buying this. <laughs> Thank you. I'm now fifteen dollars poorer because of you, people. Thank you so much. Right. Anytime. Well, you want to come back on? You're welcome to it.
2: I'm <laughs> bankrupt me at this rate. Um. Well, it, uh, now that we're on sort of a lighter note, I have a game. Uh, since since you know, Pugmire is kind of a a D and D esque game. I have a game that is uh, OSR, you know, OGL type thing. I have invasion of the tuber dudes. <laughs> what? Okay, so I, I d- hang on. I put on. it in the I put it in the green, green room chat. Room. Yep. Um so I I started a garden recently and uh I don't know if drive through knows that I started a garden recently or what. But uh <laughs> this is a game this is a game. This is a uh OSR game uh that they're describing as um the good the bad and the ugly meets attack of the killer tomatoes mashed up into D. um it's 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 a game about tuber people uh, attacking villages from what i can gather
0: that's amazing it yeah yeah
2: <laughs> it's all of it's all of 399 right now um
0: attack of the killer parsnips yeah
2: yeah <sighs> this is
1: this is so good, and see, th- th- this is the innovation that the the five E space needs right now.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, <laughs> but again, this is like OSR stuff, so it's probably a little bit more aimed towards uh, welfare, more aimed towards like advanced. you <laughs> will remember, as opposed to the one we have? Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Um, it's designed to be a minimal minimal uh, preparation one shot adventure. Um, but yeah, so that's the game I got. I uh, I. I him hot around and I'm surprised Steve that you didn't pick a game that just came out today that we've talked about a lot I'm curious uh, Hell Knight Oh I got that the, earlier in the week Yeah I know but the actual I well it might have officially come out earlier in the week as well but No
0: backers not I don't think it's officially released yet. Oh no
2: it's officially out cuz oh, I can is get it, it? on drive through Yeah Okay Yeah I'm Well that's yeah no
0: that's I I actually I've been so busy I haven't gotten more than a chance to to flip through it but uh that that's cool and well i posted a screenshot to one of our chats it's actually in the game text and this is a game in case you're not familiar with it it's it's an 80s biker demon biker gang rpg yeah ooh, and it's it's actually from this argentinian designer uh by the name of gabriel caroga Uh guy who wrote warpland if you've heard of that one
1: sounds vaguely familiar
0: um but yeah, it's it's an 80s, you know, think like uh, Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight, you know, that kind of thing. But the whole premise of this game is the devil has gone missing, and now you have to go keep things from getting completely out of control, because some of the demons have gone off the reservation. But there's a, a segment in it where he's talking about different power levels for different things, and the top power level is... Like level four, level five, whatever it is. And examples are the Dark Lord himself and Chuck Norris. <laughs> nice.
2: Yeah, the game the uh, Gav is ah oh, such a great game designer, uh, such a great sense of humor. I'm I'm so excited to get to play that game. But yeah, that one's yeah. I've got to get rid. It sounds very Grindhouse. It is. It's it's, it's yeah. It's
0: he, I mean it's it's very much. I I would say, and he himself describes himself as kind of an artist game designer as opposed to a what do you want to say mechanical game designer? Mm-hmm. Um I believe he got some help from um I don't know, I'm blanking on the guy's name now, but the main guy, Johan from Morkborg. Oh, okay, did like it. a spread or two for
2: him. Makes sense.
0: You know, it's it's very much kind of in that vein, but it's an eighties Doom Biker RPG.
2: Yeah. It's I, I, I sent it to a friend of mine and they were very excited because um they're into for whatever reason, like they think it's funny. Like the um best way I could describe it would be like biker Facebook memes that have like okay. the Grim Reaper drawn on them. You know what I mean? Like, oh, right. Yeah. Get back or any of that goofy stuff. They're mm-hmm. very much into that. I sent them this. They were like, oh, oh, this is but this is like good. I'm like, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. yeah, Hell Knight's was, out. Is the
1: Ghost Rider RPG I've always wanted.
2: Yeah, maybe. Maybe. It's a little it's, it's, it's a, little, a little different Actually,
0: it's, not, though. <laughs> it's not it's it's Demon Knight, um The Crow. Oh, okay. You know, he's you got know,
2: a the, you ever see the eighties movie The Wraith with Charlie Sheen? It does ring a faint bell. Okay. Yeah. I watched that recently and I was thinking of Hell Knight because it's it's a movie about a guy that comes back from the dead to get revenge. And I was like, that's very hell (laughs) night.
1: Okay. Okay.
2: Yeah. That makes sense. But yeah. Yeah. So what was Eddie, what was your other one that you had?
1: Oh, um, uh, it's more off topic, but, um, there are a collection of board games called, uh, Sherlock Holmes consulting detective, uh, where basically, um, it's, it's kind of choose your adventure in a sense of, uh, you're given an opening scenario, and then you have to look up where, on a map and a, a directory, where to go to investigate. next clue, and then you look up that code, and then you read that text and get information. Uh, but the company that makes those just did a Call of Cthulhu version called Bureau of Investigation. And that's really interesting because it has a lot more props. It's set in 20s Boston, although you can also go to Arkham and some other Places that are they're common in the, through the mythos. Uh But you have you, you pick when you go to a certain location to investigate it. You choose either the white code, which is you're investigating normally, or the black code if you're investigating the occult side of it, and that changes what happens in the game. And then there are certain uh, uh, cases that unfold differently depending on. How you perceive reality and whatnot. So it's some. I haven't played it yet, but it looks really interesting. There's like a, there's like a smidge of legacy game in there, which is really fascinating. What's that called again? Bureau and Inve- Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective Colon Bureau Investigation. It just came out like a few weeks ago. I just got it in the mail and I opened it up and it's like anyone's want to play with this? And it's like everyone's got COVID, so I can't play it yet. So I
2: put it back down. But that yeah, sounds yeah. interesting. Yeah, check that out with our board game friends. But, well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was a really wonderful conversation. Um, I had a lot of fun. I appreciate you invited me on.
0: Yeah. Thank you for as, the time.
2: Yep. As always, links to everything are in the show notes. Um, well, everything within reason. Um, you can, <laughs> you know, find us everywhere podcasts are found and then Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Patreon. And soon to be in person at the Pittsburgh Gaming Expo. That's October 1st Mm -hmm. and 2nd, so keep an eye out for us there. Um, We want to thank you for listening and remind you to be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Yep. Take care, y'all. Bye. intro and outro music by the band 12 noon you can email us at me and steve at gmail.com to find us on twitter at and rpgs find us on facebook at me and steve rpg podcast on discord at me and steve rpgs and as always all of these links are in the show notes thank you and be kind to one another
0: The cigar cigar 20 bucks dog you gotta go down the street to the store and buy that all right i think oh one other question just in case i i know you're real good friends with chris did you actually work on haunted west i haven't bothered to look in the credits page
1: um i did some uh uh consulting and review forms and write on it but i did kind of okay. you know look through it and, and offer some advice
0: okay i just you know didn't want to blurt it out and then have you go well no really <laughs> awkward (laughs) because i mean i only have you know the hard copy in the drawer right next to me but that's really far away i get it (laughs) yeah well i'd actually have to move the chair to get the drawer open oh that's okay that is actually
1: genuinely far away
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh i like your sense of humor
1: (laughs) hey i'm the guy who's like I have a DVD for that TV show somewhere, but it's all the way in the other room, so I'm just going to go ahead and find it online and stream it instead. <laughs> uh, yes.
0: <laughs> nice. I so have did the DVD for that series, but that would entail hooking up the DVD player.
2: Right. It's right here in front of me. I could just click on this button that says... <laughs> yeah, it's play.